This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. books. I thought I'd take some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated books and comic show. I am one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and I'm very glad to have back from the infirmary, Dan Gunther. Dan, how are you feeling? Oh, feeling much better, Matthew. Really happy to be back. <laughs> yeah, it was, I was, I was so sad for you because I know we were kind of excited to get together and, and talk last week um, in the news segment because we actually had some things to talk about. But I'm kind of glad in some ways that we didn't because we had some more things drop for our news segment <laughs> this week, which I got to say I'm really excited about. And the first thing is, is we have another book cover to judge. Yeah, no, Matthew, this book cover is absolutely gorgeous. And uh, one thing that you mentioned on the other side of the page here that uh, I, I hadn't really realized until looking closely at this cover is they've changed the font of the Star Trek logo on here to kind of match the branding for the Star Trek 50th anniversary stuff we've been seeing around. And I got to say, on the cover of this novel, it looks great. It looks really, really good. What did you think of this one? Well, I've got to say, we're talking about the Ladder Fire cover, which is James Swallow's novel that's coming out next year in March, at the end of March. And I'm with you. I, I really, this cover is sufficiently exciting, as we used to say <laughs> back in the day on Literary Treks. Um The fact that we have the original series Enterprise, you know, it seems that they're at high warp, even though they're passing a planet. So maybe this is what it looks like when they're passing a planet. Um, <laughs> I really like it. I, 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 there's everything about this just kind of. It doesn't feel like somebody just went into Photoshop and created a, a blase planet and put in the Enterprise and that's it. Like I felt like some work went into this a little bit and I just I really I appreciate the movement of the cover and everything about it screams happy 50th anniversary um, mm -hmm. the only thing I'm surprised at is that the 50th anniversary logo is not somehow incorporated onto this cover that you know yeah. like it, we we talked about the 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 Star Trek font at the top where it says Star Trek and then mm -hmm. below it the original series. I'm surprised that this isn't the 50th anniversary logo, but maybe they're thinking down the road it won't always be this year when they're you know printing this mm, book. That makes sense, so yeah. 
Uh, I just expected maybe that to be there somewhere. Maybe it's on the back of the book. I would imagine there would at least be that little 50th anniversary logo we've seen floating around somewhere on the back of the book for sure. Uh, if I remember correctly, the 40th anniversary kind of had that banner across the top, a eh? celebrating Star Trek's 40th anniversary or something like that. I feel like um, that was on the Crucible series that David or mm-hmm. George did. I think that's I think we're thinking the same thing. Yeah, and there were a couple other novels too. I think the uh, the Pike novel once yes, burned yes. had that, and and of course the ones we're reviewing as well, the Mirror Anarchy Anarchy series had that banner across. That's the top true. As well. You're right. You're right. Goodness, man, Dan, you are on top of it tonight. Uh, <laughs> but what was great is there was another surprise that came with this cover. It wasn't just a cover. They gave us another little gift here. Yeah, Matthew. So there is the synopsis, the back cover blurb direct from the publisher here. The five-year mission of the Starship Enterprise has brought the vessel and her crew to the forefront of an important first contact operation. Under the command of Captain James T. Kirk, the ship is heading for planet Sihar Prime in the Beta Quadrant, the homeworld of an alien civilization preparing to take its first steps onto the galactic stage. One year earlier, the Enterprise came across a badly damaged Saihari explorer vessel drifting deep in deep space. In collaboration with the explorer's captain, Kirk and his crew were able to restore the ship to full function and send it, send it on its way. And now, as the Saihari display rapid technological progress in the past year, hard questions must be asked. Is it possible that the Enterprise crew leaked advanced technology or information to the Saihari during their first encounter? In violation of the Prime Directive? Bum, bum, bum! <laughs> <laughs> a very uh, classic dilemma to kind of lead off the original series stories in the 50th anniversary. Uh, you know, the Prime Directive's been kind of at the center of a lot of stories over the years. So, you know, it's really kind of neat to see them going back to this and really looking at Star Trek's roots here with this novel. Yeah, I'm excited. I, you know... It does sound like an excellent novel. It's James, so I have no doubt that it's going to be good. And like you said, it fits so well within the Star Trek original series milieu. I am just wondering, okay, so how does James take a story which seems classic Trek and put a spin on it so we don't know what to expect? So that's what I can't wait to see here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely one thing that I've found in his books is he really does, you know, bring a lot of originality to his stories. So I definitely don't expect this to be paint by the numbers. I'm expecting some pretty good stuff here. So be on the lookout for this book. It's due on March 23rd, 2016. I know Dan and I are really excited about this. And I, I have to say, I think 2016 is starting off with a bang, obviously, with Ascendance coming out. And it just looks like it's going to be a fabulous year. And we're going to end the year with that trilogy by John Jackson Miller, which, I mean, that Prey trilogy spanning the 24th century era, uh, my guess is it's, it, I'm wondering if it's going to be some sort of destiny type thing almost. So I, you know, and then the trilogy we're going to be getting with uh, the original series, it's just, it sounds like a great year plus an Enterprise book and so much more. So they're really, I think, I think Pocket Books is doing what it should be doing for the 50th anniversary. Now let's wait and see what, uh, you know, Paramount CBS might have for us. Definitely, yeah. 
Well, Matthew, next uh, next up, we have a really great, exciting comic to talk about here. Uh, Star Trek Green Lantern crossover number four uh, came out, and we both had the chance to read this one. And I think I'm not alone here in saying that I really enjoyed this story. Uh, how about you, Matthew? What did you think? What I love here... Okay, so we have part four of six, and... They finally do that thing like, you know, you're not super familiar with the Green Lanterns, but mm. this one does a great job, I think, of of really furthering and kind of explaining how all this Green Lantern stuff works so that they can really set up what's going to happen in the end. And mm. so this does feel more like a transition issue in some ways, but I think it's needed especially for, you know, people who might be reading this for the first time, they're a Trek fan or they're a Green Lantern fan, you know, and they need both sides to to kind of be explained for them. So I, I think mm. this is a well-needed, like, breather, but at the same time, very important information. And I'm not going to spoil it here because I don't want to, but the end of this, we hinted at something earlier in an earlier literary tracks of what might come here. But gosh, um, geez, Dan, whoo. <laughs> uh, yeah, without giving anything away, I did not see that coming. That's uh, the way the kind of the way they went there. That was really, really cool. Um, but yeah, kind of leaving that aside and not not giving that away because it you really need to read this to see what they do at the end here. Uh, it's pretty cool. So this one, I, I think, you know, we. There's so much we don't want to say. I I just say you should be reading this series. I, I think both Dan and I have really been appreciating this one. And I think anybody who is a, a Star Trek fan, but also just enjoys fun sci-fi type stuff. And, and that's what Green Lantern really is, is, is a very sci-fi-ish comic. Mm-hmm. It's it's so enjoyable. I think you're going to have a blast. So go pick this one up. Um well, Dan, that wasn't the only thing that we got this week as well, uh, and that came out last week, but this week, Star Trek Ongoing hit 50 issues. So, yeah! yeah oh, yeah, this is... Party time! Really great. <laughs> really, and, and, you know, one of the, if not, you know, right among the top longest-running Star Trek comic book series, uh, it's incredible, and the stories have generally been very, very good. So, you know, this isn't 50 mediocre stories. They've really had a really good thing going with this ongoing series. And 50 issues is is definitely something to celebrate here. And uh, they kind of do. They pull out all the stops with this story and make it a really good 50th issue. Well, and I have to say the cool part of this issue is that they are doing the Mirror Universe. And the way that they do it here is really exciting. I just mm. I love the way they kind of introduce it and how everything happens. It's just fantastic. They bring a bunch of things in, and again, I don't want to spoil this one because I think people should just go out and read this. Even if you haven't been reading ongoing, you don't even have to have been reading ongoing. You can jump right into this one, and as long as mm-hmm. you've seen both of the JJ films, you're going to know exactly what's going on here. It's <laughs> it's great. I really this is a fabulous issue it's going to be a three-part arc and i can't wait to see where what comes next i'm it's i feel like it's one of the best that they've done Mm -hmm. yeah i'm definitely really enjoying this one 
like you said, the mirror universe stuff, the way they bring the prime enterprise into the mirror universe and have the, the two universes kind of interact and a lot of the twists, you know, you, you kind of dropped a hint there when you said, uh, you know, you, you have to have watched both of the JJ Abrams movies. Uh, the writers really do bring in elements from, uh, especially that second movie there. So, you know, if you've watched Into Darkness, you'll be able to keep up. It's an excellent issue, and I'm really enjoying it. Hint, hint, wink, wink, hint, hint, wink, wink. <laughs> nudge, nudge. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what's great here, though, too, is this is a double-sized issue, and, and the reason is they add a great interview at the end, which I, w- I really appreciated. They they talked all about, um, you know, the, the run that they've had here, uh, really what it means in the history of Star Trek comics, which is really cool. Talking about the entire run, I thought was fantastic. So very excited that they did that. You know, um, they talked about the artists of Star Trek and, and who's been working on the series, which is another phenomenal thing. Uh, there's an oral history of the Star Trek comics here, which is fabulous. And then on top of all of that, they did the top 50 alien species that they've done <laughs> here. And the annotations come directly from Mike Johnson. So, you know, this is a fantastic issue. And they're really celebrating what they've accomplished. And they really should be because. As you said, Dan, the ongoing comics have been a fantastic continuation of the JJ-verse, and I think for the most part have done an amazing job of really giving that universe some life, you know, making Mm. it feel more real to us, and I really appreciate that. Definitely. That's one of the things having a movie franchise as opposed to a television franchise is you only really see these characters a few times and you don't get a lot of depth. And really the ongoing series is what is giving that universe its depth to me right now. So yeah, kudos to IDW for their 50 issue run. I hope it goes for 50 more issues at least because uh, I'm really enjoying these. Well, and I mean, they definitely have they, they've got plenty of issues left as they move towards Star Trek Beyond! And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to see where they go uh, as they lead up to that. And then hopefully, I mean, you know, even if the JJ-verse doesn't last after that, I, I think it's worth keeping the comic up. Because the comic mm. has, in some ways, a life of its own at this point. And I think it proves that it deserves to be around. For sure. Well, before we head into our feature talking about uh, the book this week, we're going to be talking about Warpath. We want to remind everybody that Literary Treks is part of the Trek FM network, which means we are part of over 20 different shows and feeds there covering all parts of Star Trek and beyond. And no, I don't just mean Star Trek Beyond, the the new film coming up. <laughs> we're talking about the 602 Club where we cover all things geeky. So check us out at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. You can also find us on Trek.FM. That's our website online where we've got all the different podcasts that we do. We've got all the different show pages, all the different links there. You can find us on Twitter at Trek FM. Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. You can also find us in the Babel Converts, which is our listeners-only discussion group, a really important place to go if you just want to dive in with the conversations with all the different listeners of the network. 
just type Babel in the search field on Facebook or go to the website and click discussion on the menu bar. That's at trek.fm. And one of the coolest places you can also go, Goodreads. Because we're a books and comics group, we're on Goodreads. We've got our bookshelves there. We've got what's coming up next so you can stay current with what we're reading and be ready when we talk about it on the show's. And we even have discussions there as well, just about the books and comics that we're reading as well. So it's a fantastic place to go. So go to all those places, check us out. And like I said, hit us up on iTunes. We're a feature provider there. And uh, I have to say, we'd really appreciate some new star ratings and reviews because that really helps Literary Treks and any of the shows on the network grow. And we say that, and I mean this with all sincerity, plenty of articles out there talking about this iTunes is the main place where people get their podcasts. So even if you don't listen there, most other people, 80% of people, that's where they get their podcasts. And that really helps this show grow. So we really appreciate everybody who's gone there and done that. Give us a five-star rating and review, and we really appreciate you. Well, Dan, we made it through the Worlds of Deep Space Nine series, and now we are off to, I think what you might call the Mirror Universe series almost, because Mm -hmm. as much as we're moving towards the Ascendance arc, they throw in this whole other thing first. There is a bit of a detour here. Uh, You know, you think the story's kind of going one way. Yeah, and I mean, obviously... You know, reading this in hindsight and going forward, I mean, you know, we've got two Kiras, but that's not enough. We've got to throw in a mirror Kira as well eventually and and really mix things up. Oh, wait. And Ilana Gamor. Yeah. So (laughs) from a few different universes. So basically, it's just a bunch of Kiras and Cardassian Kiras all running around. Which, don't get me wrong, I'm on board. I mean... <laughs> more Kiras, never, the better. Yeah, you can never have too many Kiras. I mean, we may as well even throw in your Lara Croft Kira from uh, Ooh, that ongoing Kira episode Croft, a while yes, ago. yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but before we get to the stories with, you know, a multitude of Kiras, we have Warpath by David Mack, um, kind of leading us into that little era of... Uh, of the Deep Space Nine relaunch. <laughs> yes, it's it's an interesting ride. Um, so let's just start with Warpath. We'll leave everything else for when we talk about it. But <laughs> one of the things that this book does is it has everything just kind of go from bad to worse. I mean, because the book starts with Kira having been stabbed in the chest and Ro most likely her spine having been broken. And things just progress from there. I mean, it's like a downward slope. I mean, if you thought you were in hell at the beginning, it just... I mean, they literally kind of descend into hell by the end of this book, you know, before... Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know if things get better. We haven't gotten that far yet. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's definitely... It definitely starts in a very dark place, and it doesn't get much brighter at all, Uh, you know, until we... Until we get to the end and, and, you know, there's some hope there. But yeah, definitely it's it's a dark book. Uh, there are a lot of themes running through this book, uh, things to do with depression and, um, you know, just it, it really does come from a dark place and it feels, 
I don't want to say it's 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 tough to read, but it definitely does make you think of a lot of the issues that are going on with the characters in this story. And you really kind of get pulled into their world and understand what a huge shock this has been and what a big, um, you know, what a, what a trauma this has really been for a lot of our characters here. It's intensely Deep Space Nine. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's Deep Space Nine at its most intense. It's most dark. I, I would say... You know, if if it, if you are talking about an episode that, that this one reminds me of, it's in the pale moonlight or wrongs darker than death or right. night. Uh, I was thinking you know, of that one. Yeah, th- those those just horrible, just really bad, creepy type of episodes, scary type of episodes. I mean, it's even it's way darker than anything you ever saw in Empok Nor. So, I mean, that's kind of the feeling that you're getting. And like you said, it's it's more of a, I mean, things are physically bad for people, but it's also the psychological terror that's happening, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think that's the thing that really sticks with you is, yeah, there's this kind of depressive nature about what's happening. And there's this foreboding sense that, Something wicked is coming soon. Right. Yeah, no, I I think especially reading this book and really getting inside Rose's mind as she lies on the bed in the infirmary, not knowing whether she'll walk again, and it's sometimes almost seeming to not really care if she walks again was it was it was really difficult and, and very very sobering when I read this, like this is serious, you know, uh, Rose character, especially I do have to say just really got to me in this book. And, uh, I really put myself in her place and felt that kind of oppressive, uh, feeling of no hope. And David Mack just was really able to capture that. And, and it, it really did move me. Well, and yeah, for me, the the character that really was sticking with me, and I feel like I've kind of just been there before. This book was reminding me of some very tough times in my life. Was that place that Tyranitar is? That lack of direction mm-hmm. that he has. Everything, you know, the 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 rug's been pulled out from under him, and he he's depressed. He's angry. He's hurt. He's bitter. He's you know. Uh, he's directionless, he's all of these things. And at the same time, he also kind of feels like he's going crazy because he doesn't understand what's really motivating anymore, but he is being driven by something. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's just, it is a really interesting thing because on top of that, him and Kira are kind of in the same place almost. Yeah, I, I noticed, you yeah. know, Tyranitar is not un- understanding what direction he's supposed to go. And Kira, in her vision, is having the same issue. You know, the prophets are telling her all these cryptic things, and she's just like, I don't know what that means. I don't know which way I'm supposed <laughs> to go, you know, and it takes this uh, intense, you know, trippy, uh, I don't want to call it a force vision, but prophet vision uh, to <laughs> to to get her where she needs to go so that by the end of the book neither of the characters is directionless mm-hmm. um but it is 
it is dark what we're talking about, especially with Tyranitar and yeah, I could feel it. You know, I could be reminded of those places I, I have been where it's just the darkest moments and that's what that character specifically is facing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with Tyranitar, I you know, a lot of times when people are depressed, they act in ways and, and they question themselves like, why do I even do that? Why did I, why am I hurting the people around me on purpose kind of thing? It's almost as if something's kind of directing me to do that. And in this case, something really is. Tyranitar not only is directionless and not only has, you know, come to this horrible conclusion about the founders that has undermined his entire belief system, but he is also being manipulated by outside forces here. And uh, it all culminates in just, you know, him him committing these horrific acts and taking Prin hostage, for example, and... uh, in, you know, I have to say some of the best scenes in this book are some of his tactical maneuvers against Vaughn and the Defiant. So he's not completely out of control. He has his mind, but he's still being manipulated by people or by someone to, you know, act out in this horrific way. Well, and and the other thing there is that he is dealing with this idea that he's nothing more than a slave. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a slave to the founders and now he's a slave to something else that he has absolutely no idea why or what it is. And yeah. it almost reminded me of, you know, obviously the Jem'Hadar are usually, Tyranitar's not, but usually a slave to the white. And mm. it reminded me he has this kind of addiction that he doesn't even understand. But for the Jim Hadar, because it's bred into it, it's this addiction to needing to be told what to do. They, they don't have free will. There's that doesn't exist for them. It's not a part of their genetic makeup, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting. They're designed by people who don't want them to be able to choose not to do what they're told. And mm-hmm. um. You know, that's uh, that's a big difference between when you look at humanity, uh, depending on what you believe, you know, we have the, the ability to choose whether we want to believe in God or not believe in God, you know? Uh, that, that choice mm-hmm. has been given to us. We're not forced to do anything. We have the will to choose, and it it's a very interesting uh, thing. So I, I, I was really struck by that, that, how often in life we're slave to things that we don't understand and we don't even know we are. And then if we know we are, how do we get out of it? So again, there's just so much that's dark and deep happening here, especially psychologically with this character and what's going on. You could think about it and it could, especially depending on where you are in your life. You know, if I, if I'd read this uh, years back, it, 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 it reminds me of that, but it doesn't. I don't know if it hits me as hard because I'm I'm away from that, which is good. Mm-hmm. But man, it, it, this this could really remind some people of some things that they may have been through that were just rough. That it, you know, as mm-hmm. rough as it got for them. Yeah, and I mean, in this case, uh, you know, well, the person who's manipulating him, of course, is Ileana Gamor. We'll we'll find that out. Uh, And in this case, she's really done what, you know, some horrible people in this world do, which is, you know, take someone who's vulnerable and afraid and, 
co-opts them and, you know, gives them a purpose that serves their own needs, you know, and and really, she, like you said, has taken the place of the founders in Tyranitar's mind here and really manipulated him because he's so genetically prone to following orders and, and just put herself in the place of, you know, his God, basically, and really perverted his whole belief system into serving her own needs and sad to say that is something that people do in the real world you know there i you know i think of um cults for example who target people who are alone have no friends maybe have just moved into a new area uh and you know really target them and and prey upon their vulnerabilities and that's exactly what she's been doing here and on top of that, you know, I was just thinking, it's not just, uh, you know, things like cults and stuff that do that, but just individual people look for people mm-hmm. to prey on that are weak or, you know, any of that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, this happens in so many different areas of life and it's kind of scary, you know, because, oh, yeah. um, and, and, and what David Mack is really talking about, he's talking about a lot of things here that are some of the worst and the darkest places in life. And, but I think, you know, sometimes that's needed. And I appreciate him for not shying away from all of these things because that's, again, what Deep Space Nine did is it didn't shy away from the dark and the deep and, you know, the disturbing. Um, and and the, the worst and the best, you know? So... Mm-hmm. I think this is quintessentially a, a, this a Deep Space Nine story and, and really only something that I could see really being tackled by this series. So, and yeah, interesting definitely. you think about it. You know, Kira is in this book, but she's in a dream. Um, But, you know, the main characters in this are Ajem Hadar and Prin and Vaughn. You know, they're the mm. really the ones we're really focused on most of the time. And yes, again, Kira is a part of it, but hers is so dreamlike and everything. It's 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 interesting to see again a Deep Space Nine book really taking Star Trek in that direction of we don't have to have it be the the main main characters. We can have it be right. these characters we've just created for the books, and it's 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 fascinating because I don't even care. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm just really plugged in to what's happening with the story. So well done, David Mack. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, this whole series up to this point has really done such a great job of really rounding these characters out and making them full and realized and fascinating in their own rights. You know, they don't have to have been on the television show to get me to care about them. I was, you know, rereading this novel. I I read it years ago, of course, but rereading it now, uh, it really amazed me. And I, I, stopped and realized halfway through just how much I care about Vaughn and, you know, his uh, rage when he thinks his daughter has been killed. And neither of these characters are ones that ever graced a television screen in Star Trek. They're pure creations of this novel series. And they're just as important to me as Julian or Jadzia or Ezri or any of them. I, you know, they're really, really great. Well, you know, Prin and Vaughn, it's the heart of the story, I think, um, and the thing that really will get you misty, you know, 
I think, mm-hmm. in yeah. the eyes uh, as you're reading it. Oh, is that dust in my eye? Uh, no, no, no. It's just a printed Vaughn story. And they have been through so much together. And I like the way that David writes the story to allow them to let go of everything that's happened. And the, mm-hmm. he, the way he does it is, is you know, even there's there's the language in there of it's not like it's forgotten, but there's no reason to say I forgive you because it's they've come to the realization, you know, like they've had that thing happen where you, you they know they're all each other has. And mm-hmm. so whatever has happened in this past has happened, but it, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily matter anymore. And yeah, they've, they've realized what's more important yeah, at this point. Yeah. And it was a beautiful, beautiful part of this story for me to watch that that came in. And it comes about so organically. I don't feel like it is forced because, again, mm-hmm. they've slowly been moving to this. But to finally have this be the catalyst, you know, it it, it it makes so much sense. And it's, again, I I feel like it's so well written and so well done that I, I'm glad to finally see it here. Um, we'll have to wait and see if they get there happily ever after as father and daughter. But, um, yeah, I it was a great storyline to see kind of that part get a bow. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, a lot of the story is, you know, Vaughn coming to the rescue of Prin. Uh, but at the same time, I don't want to downplay Prin's part in this story. Uh, she has really turned into an incredibly strong character. I have to say, I really, you know, rereading this, I really paid attention to her scenes. You know, her very slowly and meticulously attempting to, you know, thwart Tyranitar while in the runabout and all this stuff. I just, I really admired her character and I just kind of had to say that, that, uh, man, she is really kick-ass. I really like her. (laughs) No, I, I completely agree with you and I like her a lot too. And I'm disappointed that recently she's got so little to do in the books that we've seen her in because yeah, she's a huge part of this, newer cast of deep space nine that we've been you know getting over the last um you know the well gosh from this point since we had gotten in avatar all the way to here she was Mm -hmm. a huge part of that and as the books continued and and as they are now she has progressively got less and less kind of important which is sad because she's a great character and Mm -hmm. um yeah i I hope to see more of her as we move forward because I think I think it's needed, you know. I, I just think like she there was too much time invested in her not to really have her be a main part of the storyline. So Yeah, definitely for sure. Uh you know, like I said before, just as important as any of the long running characters, you know, these new characters are just a they're just they're a part of the story that you can't take away now you know they're they're just as present and just as important as any of the other characters uh one thing i noticed when reading this story that um you know i i remember reading this years ago and it being really one of the highlights of the deep space nine relaunch for me and i feel like that might have kind of upped my expectations reading it around this this time 
but one thing I noticed is it really feels like there's a lot of setup in this story for what's to come, which, you know, is necessary. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but I did notice it a lot more this time. And I'm wondering if that's because I know what's coming and that, you know, uh, maybe it's not my favorite story in the Deep Space Nine relaunch. I feel like maybe when I read this the first time, I was really anticipating a really great story to come. And this time around, I kind of know what's coming isn't necessarily my favorite. So that felt a little bit drawn out in this story. What did you think of that, that kind of setting up for the the next chapter in the in the relaunch here? What I noticed about this part of the relaunch, once we finish Unity, is that it does feel too interconnected. The stories don't have enough. I don't feel like they're rounded out enough so that mm. I finish one book and I feel a little bit more complete in the story that I've read. I do feel like, next time on deep space nine you know like that it's just an uh this it feels like this is part of an arc and that's okay Mm -hmm. i guess maybe if the storylines if this was being sold as just an arc but warpath came out and it wasn't like mere universe deep space nine saga you know there wasn't any of that it just it kind of became that and I think that's where the interconnectedness of this storyline began to hurt it. You know, um, I think, say, take the Fall series. Mm-hmm. You have a wonderful setup there um, where each book tells a part of the story, but it also tells its own story. You know, it, it's right. adding yeah. to the whole, but it's also telling a complete story. Mm-hmm. And that's more what I, yeah, I'm with you. I, I do think there's a setup syndrome. And there's some great resolutions to things in this part, but it's it's not quite enough. I, mm-hmm. Because there's there's just so many hanging threads left. And it's like, that's that's good, but it's, it's kind of obvious. And it's, I'd, I don't think it's just because that I have read the storylines before. Um, I think I'm just better now of recognizing than I was when I read this book in the first place. That makes sense. Yeah, that might very well be the case. Uh, I can't remember exactly how old I was when I first read these, but yeah, there's definitely a a different sensibility when it comes to reading these stories now. and, And I definitely look for different things than I did back then. Uh, so that's that's a very good point for sure. Well, how did you take, okay, because it plays a big part of this story, but how did you take um, Kira's drug trip uh, through, <laughs> you know, the celestial realms uh, to, you know, Bajoran Minas Tirith? <laughs> well, it was, uh, I, I remember really enjoying that story and mostly for the journey that Kira is kind of put on here, you know, kind of fighting through what she's gone through and, and, you know, learning about herself and and learning, you know, what her place might be and that kind of thing. Uh, I, I find it very interesting that since this story, that same thing with Kira has kind of been played out again a little bit. Uh, I'm thinking of the first book of the fall series, you know, Kira kind of goes through a very similar thing in that one. And then almost in um, 
the latest David R. George book, she's, you know, not going through a vision per se, but she's in very different circumstances by herself, kind of having to figure things out. And and I feel like this is kind of a tack they've taken with her character a few times since this point. But, uh, you know, as as the first one of those stories here, I really, really enjoyed this one. Well, and what's interesting for me here is I feel like by the end of the story that they were kind of setting up that this is going to be the Ben and Kira show. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they're going to go buddy cop on us. They're going to be, you know, the the prophet's dynamic duo. Right. They've got their emissary. Yeah, they've got their emissary and they've got his right-hand person. You know, I really, that never plays out because obviously the storyline just stops and we never get the resolution to that. So I'm really hoping mm-hmm. that plays out in Ascendance because... I hope so, yeah. yeah because <laughs> one, the whole point of Ben in this storyline too is that he senses something's coming. Strangely enough, a part of him is still in the Celestial Temple. He can't... It's it's almost like the Nexus with, uh, you yeah. know, the the echo of Guinan being there. And, um, yeah, it, it's just really interesting, and they're really setting up something very cool here, especially with the Evoc and the Bajoran standing against, you know, the Ascendants and the fact that them both defending the temple uh, and the, they, they both look to the temple for things and... It's led them both to good things and the ascendants to be murderers, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it is a frustration, like we were talking about with the setup syndrome, is that it's setting up something really cool that still has never been paid off, and then of course the payoff with some of these characters later on, I haven't as much enjoyed. I, I still don't agree with where Cisco is as a character, and I. I don't love that I haven't seen how Kira goes from this to being a Vedic um, mm. well enough. So, I'm, I, again, I'm crossing my fingers that that storyline gets told in a way that makes sense and makes it feel like, oh, that's what I wanted to see, you know? Like, I don't even know what I want, but I know that I want it to, to just make it feel like it. it's the right choice for those characters, mm-hmm. so... Does that need to make sense? Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. And yeah, kind of echoes a little bit of what I was saying before that, yeah, maybe I didn't quite enjoy this story as, as much before because, yeah, I, I have been disappointed in some of the directions that the story has gone after this. Um, you know, and remembering where I was when I was reading this, I was very excited for this. The whole idea of, you know, the two species coming together to defend their fortress against the oncoming storm. You know, I wanted to see that story played out in, you know, the quote unquote real world. Uh, And the fact that we never really got that and it just kind of meandered for years. Yeah. Reading this time, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of potential that ended up not really going anywhere, at least not yet, hopefully. So Hopefully that's rectified. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Let and let's let's hope it is. Um, so, 
And one of the things uh, before we wrap up that I thought was interesting, it was a really interesting theme was kind of the idea of personhood. You know, we all have mm-hmm. something that is so deeply ingrained into who we are that if you take that core away, you're either completely destroyed and you, you want to turn to something like suicide or you have to find a way to move forward and, and, and find new purpose and new reason for being. And a lot of characters are going through that. I think, uh, you know, Ben is trying to figure that out. You know, Cisco, mm-hmm. he's not quite sure exactly what he's supposed to be doing. You know, he's been offered their promotion to Admiral. God, I wish he had taken it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, he, he's not quite ready for that yet. Uh, you know, Kira, she seems to be in a transitional place at this point now with her experience with the Celestial Temple and the Prophets and what they've shown her. Obviously, Tyranitar. And then, of course, Roe having this life-changing event and, you know, Prin and Vaughn having these life-changing events. And all of these things, you know, either taking away or putting together who we are as, as people. And I, I just thought it, it, it's a small thing. But it was a really interesting thing to see because, you know, I think mm-hmm. we've all been in a place in our life where we feel like something finally came into place or something major got taken away. And uh, both of those things have profound impacts on how our lives go. Definitely, yeah. No, that was something that, uh, I mean, very obviously we see that played out with Tyranitar and we kind of talked about, you know, that kind of idea that you know, his whole purpose has been stripped away and, you know, he's obviously acted out in a very visceral way. Uh, But yeah, uh, we see the same thing with Vaughn and, you know, he thinks that his whole purpose for being has been torn away from him. And, you know, it, it causes a very different reaction in him in that he wants to fight to get it back or to, you know, destroy the reason that (laughs) that thing was lost. And, you know, his crew worries about him, uh, rightfully so at some points. Um, But, you know, he, he, it really galvanizes him and pushes him. And I think with Roe for a little bit, we kind of get the opposite reaction to that, where, you know, she is an officer and a very active person and it might be that she can never do that again and it pushes her in the opposite direction she wants to give up she doesn't you know she doesn't see the you know until until she kind of wakes up to the fact that she can fight this and come out of it you know rather than being locked in that depression she can fight through it and and really come out the other side a stronger person and it's it's really interesting to see that played out with these characters. It it really is. I mean, it, it's just a great it, it it's a great storyline. You know, there's so much good that's happening in here, and it led me it leads me to want to ask you know for you, how would you rate Warpath? Well, I really it it still remains one of my favorite stories, especially you know, coming into these last few novels, I think it's my favorite of the last, uh, you know, two or three, the last three novels of the Deep Space Nine relaunch and possibly from Worlds of Deep Space Nine. I think I enjoyed it a little more than those as well. Uh, 
David Mack's writing always has a way of just pulling me in and really keeping a hold of me from the first page to the last. And, you know, there are some very quintessential David Mack moments in this book where, you know, reading it, you can totally tell, you know, he's on fire in some of these parts. Also, <laughs> a little aside note here, I have to say I always love David Mack's little references, and there were a few I actually had to look up uh, to his, uh, with the Nausicaan, um with the Nausicaan assassin. There were a lot of references to the story that they got the name from, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. There's a lot of really great references in, you know, their whole belief system and stuff that he peppered this story with, which I thought, you know, it was quintessential David Mack. I really loved it. Uh, so I would have to give this one probably a little lower than I did when I initially read it, but I would say a good four and a half stolen assassin weapons out of five. Yeah, no, that's good. You know, for me, I, I think um, I think rereading this one, I was solidified in, in, in finding this to be such a solid book and, and with a lot of really interesting things that were happening in it. And it, like we said, it's a really dark story. But the hope that kind of comes through the end, kind of a new hope, especially for Vaughn and Prin, it was nice uh, as well. You know, you've kind of gone through the fire and there, and, and Ian, you've got that new hope of, of Ben and, and Kira kind of finding that they're back together again you know uh the 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 dynamic duo's back so all that together for me this is four out of five stolen runabouts uh it's it's a it's a good story and i'm you know i'm glad i've got a chance to read read this and i'll be interested too as we move forward to kind of see where we go next Mm -hmm. Yeah, four out of five stolen runabouts it's a really good rating (laughs) Well, Matthew, I have to say I really enjoyed this discussion of Warpath. I, some of the ideas and themes that run through this novel just really, really spoke to me. And it was, you know, a real pleasure to be able to kind of dissect this story with you and really talk about what it meant to the both of us. The reading this story, you know, it did bring me back to some of the worst parts of my life, but in a way that was reflective and was able to kind of think through those things. And I, I just, I appreciate that a story, that a Star Trek story can make that happen. And, you know, uh, in, a, in the hands of a writer like David Mack, you know you're in for a good story anyway. But two, I, I just think this one works. And so I'm really pleased that, you know, we, we are on this journey to, to Ascendance to see what happens. And I, I can't wait at this point to watch how it plays out. Um, so glad everybody's on that journey with us too. It, it's going to be exciting. Uh, don't forget if you'd like to, to send us some contact about the show, anything you hear here on the show or just ideas or thoughts or anything like that, go to trek.fm slash contact. We'd love to hear from you. Choose a show, choose literary tracks, and that'll come to me and Dan. Also, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, just go to the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. Uh, of course, like I said, we are on iTunes at itunes.com slash trekfm and Twitter at trekfm and Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. 
really would like to thank the associate producers we have for the show. We have a brand new associate producer, Bruce Gibson, along with Brandon Shea, Matula, Ken Tripp, and Will Wynn. All of these guys help keep the show coming to you each week through Patreon. And it's through their support of Patreon that Literary Treks and all the shows on the network come to you. If you want to know more about Patreon and how you can help make sure all of this content keeps coming to you each week, we love keeping it pretty much ad-free for you guys. We love keeping it just the content, just people getting together to talk about Star Trek things and beyond. Go to patreon.com slash trekfm. We've got lots of different milestone contributions that we're trying to reach and great perks for you. Those include early access to content. We have the brand new Patreon Zone right there on our brand new website that Chris has been working on. And you, if you, $5 a month, you can get all the wallpapers, the ringtones that Chris has put on there. You can get shows early, all of those things. And that's only for supporting us at $5 a month. And if you're doing $25 a month, hey, you could be on the Patreon's Roundtable Bill every month. It's a podcast just for the listeners and all the hosts around the network to have a good time, get to talk something about Star Trek. So check us out at patreon.com slash trek.fm and see how you can be part of the family. Well, Dan, when you're not running away from Nausicaan Assassins, where can we find you online? Well, Matthew, I got to tell you, those Nausicaan Assassins, they're hard to shake sometimes. Uh, But, you know, when I manage to elude them, you can find me online at uh, www.treklit.com. That's my website where I review Star Trek novels, both old and new. Uh, I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash treklitreviews and on Twitter at treklitreviews and my personal Twitter feed uh, at Kurtrats, that's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And I'm also on Instagram at Kurtrats47. And Matthew, when you're not being shown some kind of trippy prophet vision, uh, where can we find you? Man, where am I? Dan? It just went all white. So I'm going to, I hope you're still there. You could, you guys can find me when I'm not here on Twitter. Do I get reception in this place? Jeez, I don't Anyway, you can find me on Twitter. I All I hear is a deep thrumming heartbeat. <laughs> <I don't... laughs> you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing that Instagrammy thing at MRushing. I'm doing the 602 Club where we talk about all things geeky here on the network as well as the Orb with Christopher Jones where we talk about all things at Deep Space Nine. And of course, I also have my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that, light reading? To each his own, number one.